Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Good morning, everybody. I feel like I haven't preached in a very long time. It's been a few weeks. Uh, last time I checked, I was still the pastor here, so that's good. If you want to turn with me to Jonah chapter 3, we're going to continue on with Jonah. It's so great seeing people come back from the missions field, just excited, passionate, experiencing just the work of the Lord, and on top of that, being able to bring the gospel to places all over the world. We as a church and as a group of churches are going to be taking three missions trips within the next 12 or so months, 12 or 15 months. And we'll be taking two trips to Bolivia and one trip to India, and so I want you to begin to think and ask the Lord if he would have you to go on one of these trips. If you speak Spanish and you know who you are, God has said yes to you, for sure. So if you speak Spanish, the answer is yes, you don't even have to ask. <laughs> yeah, bien. So, um, so we're going to do this, but we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna be asking the Lord for a lot of participation from this church. Not only for people to go, but for people to help to finance the trip, for people to help uh, mobilize people to go, whether it's airport runs, helping people pack things here at the church, whether we're going to bring down crafts, those kinds of things down to the place we're going. We're going to need an all-in kind of uh, understanding of these trips. And so some of you are like, well, I don't know if I can go. I've got kids. What about this? And there's, there's a million different reasons why you probably shouldn't go. We understand that. And there probably is a million reasons why you shouldn't go. But unless the Lord says no, please keep asking. Because we do not know what the Lord would have for each one of us. The Lord can make a way, even where we think there's no way I can get off of work, there's no way we can afford it, there's, you know, all those various reasons why we shouldn't go. But if the Lord says yes, then he will make a way. And so we're excited about that. We love the opportunity to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, not just only here in Northwest Indiana, but all across the world. And God's opened some doors for us to be able to make connections. We're going to places where we have relationships already established. We're not just going somewhere and kind of showing up and hopefully, you know, there's, there's follow-up after we leave. There's, there's relationships already established with, with solid missionaries and churches that we can go there, participate with, strengthen, encourage, and when we go, we know there's going to be follow-up and care for the various people that we're ministering to. And so be thinking about that, whether that means for the kids to have a little uh, uh, lemonade stand to raise, funny f- or f- raise money for missions, whether it's some of the guys here or girls working you know, a double shift at work and saying, hey, whatever I'm making on this extra shift, I'm going to be able to give that to missions. We want to be able to support and be able to seed the nations with the gospel in big ways and little ways, whether that means you, we stay home and work to help send or we actually go ourselves. So we're all going to participate in this. All right, Jonah chapter 3. If you want to turn with me over to Jonah chapter 3, it's towards the end of the Old Testament. It's kind of buried in uh, amongst the, the minor prophets. As you're turning there, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord for his help this morning. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you for your eternal, enduring word. 
God, we know that all of your word is, is God-breathed and is helpful and it is living and active and it is, it is challenging us and, and shaping us and revealing yourself to us. And so we ask this morning that you would help us to see you more clearly. Help us to have hearts that are, are soft and ready and, 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 and ready to receive your word with faith. And, and God, we ask for your help in all of these things, God. I ask for your help today. Help me to fix my eyes upon you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this summer we're on a series called The Mission of God. And part of this series is looking at the book of Jonah. And so last week, John Leitzel opened to us Jonah chapter 1 and 2. Just did a fantastic job. I encourage you to get the podcast of that. It was just a, a solid message. I'm listening to John. I'm thinking, man, he, he could bring this message anywhere in the world. And it would just it would radically challenge anyone who's listening to this. Well, I'm going to just begin to read Jonah chapter 3 today, but I want to just give a brief recap of Jonah chapters 1 and 2 so we're all on the same page in case you weren't here uh, last week. So the book of Jonah opens in chapter 1, verse 1 with this, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And so we're first introduced to this prophet named Jonah, and the word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, look, you need to go to Nineveh and tell them some things that that they need to know. They're a city that is evil, that has, their evil has arisen before God, and you need to go and warn them that I'm going to destroy the place if they don't repent. So far, so good. Well, if you were here last week, you know what happens. Jonah says, no way, there's no way I'm going to Nineveh. And he gets on a boat to head in the complete opposite direction of Nineveh to travel across the ocean to get somewhere far away. Well, on his way to the city of Tarshish, he encounters a violent storm. And this storm is so violent and so real that the sailors on the boat begin to throw over the cargo on the boat, trying to save every last thing they can to keep from drowning, right? Now, as I read this, this chapter, I'm thinking to myself, um, you know, they're probably way out in the middle of the ocean, but I'd like to think, just in the irony of things, in God's economy, they're probably like 100 meters off of, off of the shore, and they're not in the middle of the ocean somewhere. They're probably really close to land. They probably just left, and this huge storm comes up, and they can't get back to land, and everyone's on the beach like, what are those guys doing? Why are they throwing cargo overboard? And then this guy gets thrown overboard, and then everything goes calm and quiet. So they go to Jonah and say, Jonah, okay, what, why are you sleeping in the bottom of the ship? And he's like, well, I serve the Lord, and it's because of me that this great storm has come upon this boat. And so lo and behold, they, they cast lots to find out. They kind of roll some dice to find out Jonah is the reason why the storm's upon them. They take Jonah, throw him overboard, which then the sea goes completely calm, and Jonah gets swallowed by a huge fish. And while he's in the belly of the fish, we, we read Jonah chapter 2 is what his cry was from the belly of the fish. Now, as the sailors return to land, probably to go back and say, uh, yeah, all the cargo's gone, we're in big trouble now. But as they go back to land, they worship the Lord, 
The Lord commands then the fish to to throw Jonah up onto dry land, which he does. And so now we come to chapter 3. Did you guys get all that? It's a lot to cover there, okay? Jonah's the man of the hour. This this book is unique in that the, the primary focus isn't on the message that Jonah is bringing or even on the city that Jonah is ministering to. The primary focus of this prophetic book is Jonah himself, God dealing with Jonah the prophet. And so now we come to uh, Jonah chapter 3. And so we see in the past two chapters, basically everybody responding to God except Jonah. We've got the sailors, we've got the wind and the waves, we've got the fish. Everybody is responding to God properly except Jonah. And so now Jonah is going to go to the city of Nineveh. And I want to just give you a brief context for what Nineveh is like because what we read in Jonah chapter 3, then then in chapter 4, which we're going to look at next week, is we see some of these things happen. We have to understand the context for which this was written. So Nineveh, the city was large and evil. If I was in a a rock band, I'd name my band Nineveh because they were bad. The city was about seven and a half miles in circumference, and there was, it was a walled city. It had about 1,700 acres of land inside the city. There are 15 gates around the city with these massive, huge stone statues of bulls with human heads on the bulls. The city had 120,000 people that lived in Nineveh, which in ancient times would have made it a massive city. But they weren't known for the size of the city or for the amount of people. The, the Assyrian Empire, which Nineveh was kind of the capital city of, really the financial capital of Assyria, they were known, the Assyrians were known for the reign of terror. And when their armies came to town, it was not a gentleman's battle. These guys came and their chief weapon was, was terror, was fear. And so they were brutally violent in war and they wanted everybody to know it. And so they would take the conquered peoples and their bodies, chop them up, bring them home. So they're bringing home parts of people as souvenirs of war. They would take the heads of conquered kings, chop off the heads, put them on their gates. So as people would come into the city, they'd see that the heads of kings rotting away that they've destroyed. There are murals in the king's throne room showing prisoners being skinned alive, stabbed, impaled, just terrible things. And then those who were left alive were then forced usually to march back to Nineveh so they would repopulate the different areas. And Assyria was a bitter enemy of Israel. So these guys, so the Syrian government in Israel, their soccer teams, their national soccer teams weren't having, weren't having friendlies, Okay. These guys hated each other. They were bitter enemies. Assyria wanted to not just kind of beat down Israel. They wanted to completely annihilate anyone they came into contact with. And so as the word of the Lord comes to Jonah to go to Nineveh, he's not like, oh, man, I've always wanted to see that place. Oh, this is going to be great. I heard they got some really good food. And I heard that there's some nice boat rides. We can go down the river. And I want to see some of the sights. This was not that kind of place. This was not that kind of place at all. They were bitter enemies. And so let's begin reading Jonah chapter 3. We'll read through the whole chapter. 
Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Verse 6. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. It's amazing. There's an amazing turn of events that we see taking place in Nineveh. So the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to Nineveh. Instead of fleeing in the opposite direction, he decides to go. Now this trip to Nineveh was about 550 miles from where Jonah was. It would be like traveling from here in Chicago to Knoxville or to Memphis or to Kansas City. It was a far journey, and they didn't have airplanes. There was no cars. This was a long, hard journey for Jonah. And so his job was to, when he got there, to declare the overthrow of Nineveh by a God that no one in Nineveh had ever heard of before. And so... He would have been the crazy street preacher with the end of the world sign on him over his shoulders, right? Kind of like this picture. It's kind of funny, like end of the world, right? You've seen these, you've seen people do this before in the cities, right? Some guy, hey, the end of the world's going to come. Something bad's going to happen. I've seen signs on on 94 about the rapture. Millions of people are going to be destroyed. There's all these things going on on the expressway. We drive past it every single day and pay no attention to it because we think the guy's crazy or we think the guy doesn't know what he's talking about. And in the end, no one really cares, right? The street preacher that you see in Chicago or other places, everyone walks right past. No one's stopping. They're like, okay, tell me when this is going to happen because i got to know. Please tell me. I need to know the truth. No one's doing those things. But in the book of Jonah, Jonah comes from a 
from a faraway place, begins to preach that message, hey, the end of the world basically is going to be here, is going to completely overthrow this great, magnificent, powerful city, is going to be overthrown, and God's going to do this. And the people believe the Lord. And we see in this passage one of the greatest revivals in all of Scripture, maybe in all of history, take place. 120,000 people believe the Lord and turn towards, towards God. It is unbelievable. This is almost unfathomable. Think about this. If, if, if this were it happened in this area, someone walking down Ridge Road with a sign at the end of the world, it'd be like Munster, Highland, Griffith, Dyer, Cherville, and St. John all turning to God. Entire cities in, in, turning to God all at the same time. It'd be unbelievable. We couldn't possibly imagine what that would look like for us in this area. But this is what happened here. Now, it doesn't stop there with, in a sense, the people. It, it reaches up to the highest office in the land. The king gets word of what's going on. The king then repents, puts on sackcloth as a sign of, of, of mourning and repenting over his sin, declares a proclamation, tells everyone, man and beast alike, everyone's got to repent. Everyone's got to call upon God. No one's exempt from this. Everyone must call upon God for the evil that they have done. This is so unbelievable that this could only be the work of God. There's no way that this is just Jonah's clever preaching. As if Jonah just came at just the right time. That Jonah's presentation was so slick and, and so smooth and he had just the right pyrotechnics behind him. He had just the right speaker amplification system and he had, the, you know, he had some crowds kind of working. This is only the work of God. Because as we see in Jonah chapter 4, Jonah wasn't eager for the people to turn to God. I'm pretty sure Jonah went to Nineveh dragging his feet the whole time. And when he got there, he probably wasn't like, hey, everyone, I want you to know this. I care so much about you that you've got to listen to my... He was probably like, 40 more days and God's going to destroy this place. You know, just kind of, God, get this over with. I'm going to be here for three days, so please, let's, you know, let's do this thing so I can get back. He wasn't happy about his assignment. So what does God do in response to the repentance of the people? God relents. God doesn't destroy Nineveh like he said he was going to. This is a beautiful picture of the redemptive purpose of declaring God's word. When God declares his word, the purpose is always redemption. Even in the most dire circumstances where he is calling out to Nineveh, God is going to destroy your city. The purpose is redemption. When the word of God goes forth, it's for the purpose of redemption. Otherwise, God just would have done it. He just would have destroyed the place. Why bother to send Jonah? He could have just destroyed the place without saying a word. The purpose is redemption. His, God's desire, his plan was to be a redemptive, to bring Nineveh to himself. And I want to bring just a few observations of this Jonah chapter 3 text. Three observations for us to consider. First one is this. We see in this chapter God's merciful 
intentions towards the lost. His merciful intentions towards the lost. Look, he gives Jonah a second chance, gives Nineveh a second chance. He could have easily like, well, you know what? My plan was for Jonah to kind of do this thing. He obviously bailed. He doesn't want to do this. Too bad for Nineveh. We're just going to take care of things now. He didn't do that. He gives, gives Nineveh a second chance. He then sends Jonah to Nineveh. He warns Nineveh. And then he relents of the, of the disaster that he said he was going to do. We see God's merciful intentions towards the lost. Nineveh wasn't, weren't people who were, in a sense, kind of seeking the Lord. They had completely forsaken God. Their gods were not Lord Almighty. They had a, a whole bunch of gods that they were worshiping. None of them were the Lord. So how do we know this is God's intentions towards the lost? Because that is exactly what we see in Jesus Christ. We've got done spending a couple years in the Gospel of Luke. Hebrews Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, we read this. He, talking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. The exact imprint. If we want to know what God looks like, if we want to know what God thinks, how God responds, we look at Jesus Christ. He is the exact imprint of God. He is God himself. Do we see mercy extended towards the lost in the life of Jesus Christ? Absolutely. Who are the people who are gathering around Jesus Christ? It was the Roman centurion. It was the lepers. It was the outcasts, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the Gentiles. All the very people who are very, in people's minds, far away from God, without hope. The sinners, the ones who society had had pushed aside because they were too far removed from God. They were the very ones who Jesus Christ was drawing to himself. Opening his arms up wide for them to come near. We see this in the life of Jesus Christ over and over and over again. It is the mercy and the grace of God. We see this when Jesus Christ, when Zacchaeus turns to to Jesus Christ in, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus gives his mission statement. He says this, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Those who had no hope found hope in Jesus Christ. Those who were distant from God came near to God in Jesus Christ. That is God's intention all along, to bring in and to to, to draw near to Him those who are lost. In Luke chapter 15, we get these three parables, but the first two are the, the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd counts his sheep at night, finds he's missing one, and pursues and goes after that lost sheep. Then we get the parable of the of the woman who had lost a coin and she searches the entire house up and down, back and forth, all over for this lost coin. And when she finds it, there is a celebration and rejoicing because they found that which was lost. We see this in Jesus Christ. But we also see this in Jonah's preaching as well. God's redemptive purpose to bring near to him those who are far away. This wasn't just God's intention in the Old Testament. God's intention in the New Testament. This is God's intention for us today as His people. Why do we gather together on a Sunday morning 
to hear God's word proclaimed and sing his praises. We want the name of Jesus Christ to be lifted high for all to see and hear. Why do we celebrate missions trips like we did today? We celebrate the fact that God's name is being proclaimed all over the world. Why do we plan to go on more missions trips? Because we want to see God's name continue to go forth. Why do we desire to see our neighbors and the people we work with come to know Jesus Christ? Because that is the very heartbeat of Almighty God. That is His desire, His plan. He is placing people in in strategic places all over so that His Word would go forth and that people would see the glory and majesty and supremacy of Jesus Christ. That is His plan and desire all along. We see this throughout every page of Scripture. This is God's working with people. So number two, we see this. In this, our message is clarified. In this, our message is clarified. What is this message that we bring? It's simply this. Turn to the Lord. Turn to the Lord. Where we are on our own, it's not okay. We're not okay on our own. We're not okay doing things on our own, in our own way, the way we want to do things. We need to surrender and submit and repent, turn away from these things and turn to the Lord. That is our only hope. It is turn to God. And is declared in all different ways. Jesus in Luke chapter 13 says this to the Pharisees. He says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. There's an understanding where each one of us is called to repent, to turn away from the sin that is in our lives, that holds us in bondage, and turn towards Jesus Christ. He is our hope. He is our life. Apart from Him, we have nothing. And so in Jonah chapter 3, we see an encounter with God. And in this encounter, we see that God is not only judge, Right, The evil of the people have come up before me, and God said, I've placed judgment upon Nineveh. I'm going to wipe these guys out. But we also see God as one who grants mercy to the humble. It's unbelievable how God in His mercy and grace would be able to forgive and extend His love towards the people of Nineveh. I want to read for us a story from Leslie Newbigin. And he writes this. He was a missionary. He says, I, I remember once visiting a village in the Madras Diocese. There was no road into the village. You reach it by crossing a river, and you could do this either on the south side of the village or the north. The congregation had decided that I would come in by the south route, and they had prepared a welcome such as only an Indian village can prepare. There was music and fireworks and garlands and fruit and, and these martial arts ceremonies. Everything you can imagine. Unfortunately, I entered the village at the north end and found only a few goats and chicken. Crisis. I had to disappear while word was sent to the assembled congregation and the entire village did sort of a U-turn so as to face the other way. Then I duly reappeared. That is what repent means. The point is, the reign of God has drawn near. But you can't see it because you you are looking the wrong way. You are expecting the wrong thing. What you think is God isn't God at all. You have to be, as Paul says 
transformed by the renewing of your mind. You have to go through a mental revolution. Otherwise, the reign of God will be totally hidden from you. And that is what repentance is. It is a turning away from and turning towards the Lord. Well, what does that look like in Jonah chapter 3? In verse 5, we read this, that they believed God. The word of God was preached and they believed God. Then in verse 10, we read that they turned from their evil ways. So there was a a reception of God's word. There was a faith, believing that what was said is true. They They didn't believe Jonah, it says. They believed God. Then in verse 10, they turned away from their evil ways. Biblical repentance is more than just feeling sorry for what we've done. It's more than just a feeling. It's more than just a intention. It's not enough to just be informed and well-intentioned. There is a believing God at His Word. There's a faith. There's a trust in God. And then there's turning away from everything that dishonors Him. There's everything that dishonors God we turn away from because we believe that God is more valuable. So much so that our faith is seen by the way in which we live our lives. Our faith is seen by the way in which we live our lives. Repentance looks like a transformed life, a little bit at a time. Sometimes it's major, but sometimes it's a little bit at a time that this repentance looks like a transformed life. So first thing we see is God's merciful intention towards the lost. Second thing we see is we have a message to bring. It's turned towards the Lord. And third, number three is this. We are charged with a responsibility. We are charged with a responsibility. In Genesis chapters, chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, we see God's promise to Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you not so you can hoard it for yourself, but I'm going to bless you with relationship. I'm going to bless you with myself so that you can be a blessing and share this with other people. There's an outward focus in our relationship to the God. It's not just between us and God. It affects everyone around us. Well, there's a problem for Jonah. He didn't like the Ninevites. He actually hated them. He would be the first racist prophet. Okay, He was a bigot. He hated Nineveh. He didn't like the people there. He didn't want to go there. Now, you could see it would be easy for Jonah to kind of, in a sense, let himself off the hook, right? He didn't like the Ninevites. They were enemies of Israel. It was a really far trip. It was difficult. It would cost him a lot of money. And you could see all the good reasons why Jonah should get a pass on obedience to God, right? God, you surely don't want me ministering to the Ninevites because I hate them, right? Doesn't that get me off the hook? I mean, I hate these people. I don't want them to repent. I mean, Jonah is probably the only prophet in all of Scripture who was hoping for his ministry to be a complete failure. I mean, he was like, man, I hope my ministry just fails miserably. God, I hope your judgment rains down on these people. There are things that God asks you and I to do by his grace and his power. That may mean saying we're sorry to someone. That may mean making right a relationship that's been broken. That may mean going on a missions trip when, when all of the things are surrounding that, the cost and the time off and all those things are huge. It may mean paying back something we've stolen. 
There are a ton of things that we think, man, there's no way I can do this. God's too much. But just because it's costly or humbling or difficult, it doesn't mean we're off the hook. It doesn't mean we, don't have, we get a pass. Even if, it, if it's something that we think there's no way I can possibly do this. See, it's not just the nation of Israel that was responsible or Jonah himself that was responsible to bring the message of Jesus Christ or the message of hope of God. In Matthew 28, 18, we see the Great Commission where God commissions his disciples as disciples to go forth in all the world and bring the good news of Jesus Christ. This is a message for every single one of us, not just for the really spiritual people, not just for the pastors, not just for the elders of the church, not just for the small group leader at the church, not for the children's ministry leaders at the church. This is a, a call that goes forth to all people as his disciples. We are called to do these things even in our shortcomings. Even in our shortcomings. For Jonah, he was unable to relate to their culture. Jonah would have been a complete misfit. Wasn't wearing their clothes, wasn't speaking their language, literally. He didn't, he didn't worship their gods. He was bringing a ridiculously hard message for people to hear. He would have been a complete outcast. He would have been someone who people would have laughed at. He would have been someone that would, he's not one of us. He doesn't get us. He doesn't understand where we're at. Jonah has, no one should have listened to Jonah. There's no reason anybody should have believed Jonah. And sometimes I think of myself this way. Well, I'm shy. I can't really relate to people at work. I wouldn't know what to say. Sometimes my testimony isn't that great. There, is a, there are a million reasons why in our own minds we can think, okay, this isn't going to work. I, I, there's no way I could ever do that. There's no way that could ever work. No one is ever going to turn to God because of my testimony. No one's ever going to listen to what I have to say. There, there's all these things that pile up that keep us from declaring God's word to the people around us. Jonah could have had every one of those reasons. I remember there was a time when I hated speaking in front of people. It's, it never gets comfortable, but you get used to it a little bit. But there was a time when I was terrified to speak in front of people. I mean, I had speech class in high school. I had to give a speech on Friday. All week long, my stomach was in knots. I'm like, oh, I don't want to speak in front of people. It's just, I hate doing these things. I remember I was going to get baptized, and my brother Dave and myself and Ryan Heath. So before church, Ryan Heath and I are talking, and I'm like, so why are you going to get baptized? And Ryan's like, I don't know. Just thought it's a good thing to do. And I'm like, well, God's word says that we should get baptized, so I'm going to get baptized because God's word says, says so. I'm going to be obedient to God's word. You know, he's like, oh, okay. So during the service, the, the pastor of the church comes up, and he sticks the microphone in Ryan Heath's face because Ryan and myself and my brother are sitting together. And he's like, so, Ryan, why, are you wanna get ba- why do you want to get baptized? And Ryan's like, well, because I want to be obedient to God's word. I was like, then he, he, okay, John, what about you? And I was, I was, I was like, <laughs> and I froze. And I sat with my, I looked over and there was like, there was like 300 people in the church and everyone's looking at me and I'm looking at everyone like, and no one, no one understands what's going on. And he's like, okay. And so then he goes to my brother and 
completely froze, and it was awkward, and I was embarrassed, and it was like this terrible experience for me. But I hated speaking in front of people. It just made me embarrassed, all that kind of stuff. I still haven't forgiven Ryan Heath, by the way. Um, everyone, like, clapped, I think, for him. Like, yay, man, way to go, young man. Going to go for God and obey God's word. And this other guy just, he doesn't know why he's up here. And he's just kind of, just, you know, whatever. I say that to, to, to make this comment. We don't know. The power isn't in ourselves. The power is not, oh, it's in me. I can do this. I, I've got the, the, the strength and the gumption and the, the ability to pull something like this off. I've got the ability to, to preach to thousands of people like Jonah did and see them all because Jonah was so eloquent or anything like that. The power is in the Word of God. It's because God's word is supernatural. Why did 120,000 people turn to God in Jonah chapter 3? It wasn't because of Jonah's ability. It was because the word of God is powerful and effective. It's because God Almighty stands behind his eternal enduring word and says, my word will bear fruit. That is the hope that each one of us has. No matter where we are, that's the hope I have sitting in this pulpit. That's the hope we have at our workplaces. That's the hope we have in our neighborhoods. It's not in our ability, our smooth talk, our persuasion. It's in none of those things. It is truly in God alone. When we see one person come to God, we say, God, this is your work alone. When we see 120,000 people turn to God, it's the exact same reason. It is God alone. And so we see in the book of Acts, these, these guys who just in the end of the Gospels were, were deserting Jesus Christ, were terrified, were, were running away from Jesus, were, were denying Jesus, were doing all these things, couldn't stand with Jesus, and now they're standing before thousands of people and declaring the word of God. It's because the Holy Spirit came upon them in power and they declared God's word and people changed and were transformed, not because, of the, not because the apostles were so powerful, it's because God Almighty was powerful. And He is able to change. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 reads this, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not to us. We're just jars of clay. We're just jugs of mud. And inside we hold this beautiful treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world. We have hope. We can turn to the Lord for hope. I want to encourage us this morning that wherever we go, no matter what we do, where we work, the, the, the street we live on, the friends that we hang out with, our hope for them and for us is the internal enduring word of God. That God Almighty is the one that changes lives, that transforms people, that brings people to repentance and draws them to himself. It's really very little to do with how great we are. It has nothing to do actually with how great we are. Because we bring nothing to the table. And God would somehow choose to use us in those positions. What, what an amazing opportunity. Here we have, we read about this man Jonah, this prophet of God Jonah, who preaches the word of God to Nineveh, and 120,000 people turn to God. And in chapter 4, we have Jonah who's ticked off because it's all happening. 
we have an opportunity today for whatever fruit we see in our lives to rejoice and give thanks to God for it because it is God alone who does these things. I want to encourage us. Let us be the people of God who give God the glory, who trust in his ability to change, who trust in his word to be able to transform lives and give God all the glory for the things that he's done. We're going to close this morning. I want to just take a moment before we pray to give us an opportunity to respond to God. There may be things that God has asked you to do, hard things, difficult things, things that you say, there's no way I'm ever going to reconcile that relationship. There's no way I'm ever going to say I'm sorry. There's no way I'm ever going to pay back what I've stolen because it'd be too embarrassing or whatever it may be. Maybe on the way to church today, you and your spouse got into a fight and you need to reconcile today after church or right now. You need to reconcile. Think, oh, it's too embarrassing. There's people around us. Now is the time and opportunity for us to repent. The word is going forth and the purpose is redemption. It's turning to God, turning to Jesus Christ where we find our hope. Maybe there's an opportunity for you to repent. Maybe God is asking you to do something that you need to say, God, give me the grace to do this. I believe, help my unbelief. Maybe it's too much. Maybe God is putting his finger on and saying, look, I want you to go to India. It's going to be really far away. It's going to be hot. It's going to be costly. It's going to be time off work, the whole deal. God, I don't want to do that. Maybe you need to do some business with God. So we're just going to take a moment of, of, of quietness and just go to the Lord in our own and ask him to do his work in us. And then I'm going to pray and close this up. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the grace that you extend to us. Like we see you extending your grace to Jonah, to the Nineveh, to the king, and to us today. God, your grace is available. Lord, I pray, whatever it is that you are speaking to us about, whatever you are challenging us with, God, we submit that to you. God, give us the strength to walk in obedience in your ways. Jesus, thank you for sending us the Holy Spirit that helps us, that strengthens us. And Lord, I pray that we would submit our lives to you again today. Lord, we pray for those people in our lives who need to hear about you, Lord. I pray that we would be your vessels. Lord, even in our shortcomings, even in our weaknesses, God, I pray that you would give us the grace to proclaim your word. In your name we pray. Amen.